Hi, I'm Andy Sohn. Camp Arcadia and Church Extension Fund are two of my favorite ministries. I came to camp for teen and family weeks and worked on staff there for four of the best summers of my life. I grew in mind, body, and spirit. CEF's mission to help build God's kingdom is integral to places like camp that make ministry happen. CEF provides loan and investment options for Lutherans and other ministries. To learn more about how you can get involved, visit mi-cef.org. Church Extension Fund, building the future in Him. Welcome to the 2022 season of the Arcadia Cast. Camp Arcadia's Dean and Lecturers program recorded live in the assembly during the 100th anniversary season. In groupings of episodes, we will feature each series of lectures shared during camp's 2022 season. So grab your cup of coffee and imagine Lake Michigan out the windows to your right as you tune in and join the camp community in listening and learning. All right, we will get started. Bokertov, everyone. Bokertov, good morning, good morning. So uh, this morning we'll begin with uh, our traditional prayer um, as well as our traditional blessing. But uh, I also thought I would throw in another uh, prayer for you. Uh, because again, I think... Uh, getting to know Jesus uh, is getting to know His language, getting to, in many ways, kind of hear Him. It just kind of uh, brings that intimacy there. So I will, this morning also, um, uh, I don't think I'll have to translate this particular prayer, so I'll just pray it. I'll pray the Lord's Prayer uh, in Hebrew so that you can kind of hear that. And in many ways, uh, the Lord's Prayer can be looked at the way we did uh, the Aaronic benediction yesterday. There's lots of words there that are, are worthy of uh, digging into, that are pregnant with meaning, and uh, uh, just uh, a fun thing. And I, I had toyed with doing that with the Lord's Prayer instead of the Aaronic benediction. Uh, so uh, maybe, maybe next year when you come back, I'll do the Lord's Prayer that way. But you'll at least uh, hear... Uh, that language and hear it in its language and maybe pick up on even some of the rhythm that's within it. So let's bow our heads. Give thanks to you, living and eternal King, that you have restored, resurrected our soul within us for another day. Great is your faithfulness. Avinu Amen. And then our blessing before the study of Scripture. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with His commandments, has commanded us to be immersed into the words and the matters of Holy Scripture. Amen. All right, so today I thought we would stay in kind of one passage from the Gospels. Um, a familiar passage, perhaps. Uh, I like to look at these familiar passages because 
take the things we think we know so well and we'll go in one ear and out the other and then have something that kind of puts the, the stop sign up and reminds you why this is such an important passage and why we all know it by heart or why we've all heard it a million times. Uh, and it kind of, kind of restores the depth of that passage. It also today, I think, is going to serve to help us get a better understanding when we talk about Jesus fulfilling Scripture, Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, if you will. First, I don't like the word fulfill. Uh, That's not how I like to translate that word from either the Greek or the Hebrew. Instead, what I prefer is fill full. Okay? So instead of he fulfills Scripture, I like to translate it because that's how I hear it as a Jewish reader of the Scriptures, that he fills full the Scriptures. Because sometimes fulfill, especially in our day and age, can have the idea that, well, now it's reached its pinnacle and then all that's all done away with. It's reached its fulfillment. But really the meaning of that word, and you can kind of hear it in fulfillment or fulfill, is that he fills full the scriptures. In other words, they're all still completely relevant and meaningful and inspired and are meant for us today. He simply fills them full with meaning. Now it's no longer simply a shadow or a foreshadow or a type or something to come, but now it is. But it is. It's not it's now done away with, but rather it's filled full. So I want to look at that because sometimes when we read in Matthew's Gospel that this was written to fulfill what was written in the Scriptures, beyond us knowing maybe the quote from the Old Testament it's coming from, we really don't know how Jesus filled that full. right? We just know, oh, that's a quote from the Old Testament. Matthew says Jesus fulfilled that. Well, what was really going on for Matthew to make that claim that Jesus had filled that passage So I want to look at that or kind of have that as an undercurrent. And if we get far enough into it, I don't know uh, where uh, we'll be by uh, 1015. Uh, I want to then be able to see what I would call apostolic exegesis. That is, how did the apostles take what they heard Jesus say and then use what Jesus said and how Jesus taught them to interpret scriptures to interpret scriptures in their own writings. And so I want to take what we're going to be looking at uh, with the word stone and cornerstone. And then after Jesus uh, has his life amongst us, after Matthew has, has written his gospel, Peter then writes his epistle and he kind of builds on that. We'll see a very Jewish style of biblical interpretation in Peter's writings that sometimes also goes overlooked. Uh, So that's our goal for today. Uh, We'll see how close we get to reaching it, all right? Um, So I want to look in our, where we'll be in our Bibles, if you have your Bible with you and you want to go there, is uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. There it is. Thank you, sir. Let's give him a round of applause. Yay! Thank you, IT man. (laughs) 
So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. And believe it or not, I don't think 45 minutes is enough time for me to get through this verse, all right? Um, because I really want to unpack a lot of what's going on there, uh, a lot of the background, a lot of the, the, the hyperlinks, uh, and a lot of the context that Matthew is kind of taking for granted, you know, right? That we, in some ways, don't know, all right? So the verse reads this, uh, Jesus asked them, uh, here he is in uh, this uh, debate, this uh, point of contention uh, with some of those who are opposing him or questioning him. Uh, Jesus asked them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. So here, Jesus is resorting to scriptures, so it would be seemingly a common ground between him and his opponents, and he is quoting from Psalm 118. So that really, and I would have been clever, I might would have put all of that in blue uh, underline, so that not only do you know he's quoting from Psalm 18, but whenever... Uh, a Jewish rabbi is going to quote a verse or even part of a verse, he doesn't mean just that verse. He means bring in everything that has to do with that whole section of Scripture. right? So Jesus isn't just quoting this one verse. He's wanting to invoke Psalm 118. And then as we look at, well, let's look a little bit at Psalm 118, we'll realize we can't just look at Psalm 118. We kind of got to look at Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. So Jesus here has this rhetorical question. Uh, of course, the temple authorities had read the Scriptures. Of course, the scribes and the leaders and the sages that were there, of course, they had read Psalm 118. Not only had they read it before, but they had sung it in the temple while slaughtering their Passover lambs every year. It's part of their liturgy. Okay, They had sung it in their homes at every Passover Seder since they were born. They had sung it as part of the liturgy not only for Passover, but one in the fall known as Sukkot or Tabernacles. Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23 that Jesus quotes is part of a liturgy in the temple, but even still part of liturgy in Judaism today that's known as the Hallel. The Hallel. And it is a series of psalms from Psalm 113 to 118. And it's famous because they kind of begin and end with the words, Praise the Lord or Hallelujah. Well, look at the first part of Hallelujah. What does it spell? Hallel, right? So that's why it's called the Hallel. All right, so Jesus is kind of invoking the Hallel here okay so we need to kind of click on that hyperlink what's the hallel all about okay again a series of psalms 113 to 118 beginning and ending with the words hallelujah there's your another hebrew word for today praise the lord or praise yah uh, the words of the hallel particularly psalm 118 are deeply connected to the passover so Jesus and the Gospel of Matthew are wanting you to be thinking Passover themes here. 
uh, wanting you to be drawing that in. It's sung at the conclusion of a Passover Seder meal. Uh, the Hallel is certainly the hymn Jesus and his disciples sang at the conclusion of the Last Supper, right? You're reading the Gospel account, and it comes to the end of the Last Supper, and it makes that phrase, and they sang a hymn, and you're like, dang, I would really like to know what they sang. Well, you now know what they sang. They sang Psalm 118. And so when Jesus quotes from Psalm 118 and says, have you ever never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118, not just for us as Christian believers in the 21st century, but even for expecting, uh, anticipating a Messiah in the first century Jews, Psalm 118 is a messianic acclamation psalm. It's deeply rooted in the Messiah. Right? So it's connected to Passover. It's connected to Messiah. It was used in the first temple Judaism to celebrate a king's triumphant return from battle. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when King Jehoshaphat and his, comes back in his triumph, it employs the words of this psalm. All right? So it was also a psalm about celebrating the triumphant return of a king from battle. Uh, in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, the chronicler describes the king's joyous return from battle uh, as he enters Jerusalem. One of the quotes, they came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord, to the temple. Jewish tradition also purports that Psalm 118 is it heralds messianic redemption. That this would be one of the psalms that would herald the coming of Messiah. Alright, so now you can begin to see when Jesus quotes this, He's quoting something pretty hot. He's quoting something uh, that's going to tickle their ears. It's going to cause them to listen. Other traditions within Judaism held that Psalm 118 uh, on one level actually refers to King David's rise to the throne. It speaks simultaneously of the rise of David to the throne as well as the rise of Messiah. David kind of being a foreshadow, a prototype of the Messiah. Further, it was understood in the Jewish tradition of Jesus' day that Psalm 118 would be sung to welcome the Messiah when He came to Jerusalem. Therefore, the classical Jewish interpretation of the psalm projects the imagery in the realm of messianic interpretation. Uh, in fact, Psalm 118.17, it says, I shall not die but live, and of the works of the Lord, right? That this was referring to the resurrection. Psalm 118, verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This was understood on a couple of levels as well, right? It refers to the amazement of the nations when Israel is catapulted to greatness, when Messiah comes and reigns. Then in verse 25, this is the day which the Lord has made. Refers to the appointed time when God sends the Messiah. This is the day, right? This is the day. O Lord, it says, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, do send prosperity. 
a plea to God to send the Messiah immediately. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday, guess how the crowds are meeting Him? What are they quoting when they greet Him? When they say Hosanna or Hoshianna, right? What are they quoting? Psalm 118. Now you know why they would be singing Psalm 118. Not only are you entering into the week of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so this is the song of the week, if you will, but also this is the song you sing when Messiah enters into Jerusalem in His glory. right? And of course, John lets us know it's a a different kind of glory. It's not a glory from a throne. It's a glory from being lifted up. And it's not a crown of jewels, but it will be a crown of thorns. But make no mistake about it, the Gospel writers use Psalm 118 as the soundtrack for the passion of Jesus. If it were a movie and it had a running soundtrack where you bought the album, Psalm 118 would be the main song on that album. It is the theme of Jesus' passion. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the Gospel writers are obviously regarding this psalm as finding it being filled full in the passion story of Jesus. But Psalm 118 is also quoted widely in the New Testament, especially in this final narrative of Jesus' life. But after being welcomed into Jerusalem with acclamations of Psalm 118, Jesus spent His time teaching in the temple courts. And while teaching, He clashed with different authorities and different leaders and different parties who were seeking some way to discredit not only his teaching, but the idea that he had some kind of claim to the messianic title of the throne of David. And so after a particularly sharp confrontation, Jesus challenges them with this cryptic citation from Psalm 118. Uh, Again, and now this is actually pulling together Mark 12, and Matthew 21, and both are quoting Psalm 118. So I'm kind of doing a mashup here, which is very first century uh, rabbinical of me to do. All right? Have you not even read this Scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like the dust. To understand the meaning of the psalm's imagery and why it's significant in the mouth of Jesus, I think it's also worth us spending some time looking at masonry in the biblical period. In the land of Israel, stone is the most readily available building material. Buildings are primarily constructed of stone. The archaeology of first century Judea reveals amazing sophistication in masonry and stone cutting. 
Herodian-era blocks are still easily identifiable in standing structures. Each stone was cut to exact specifications.